This is week 12. Can you imagine? We started this thing back in June, and um, this is a really long series for us. We didn't really plan on this, but I believe that it has been one that we've been challenged in. I know I have been challenged in. Um, you know, there are many New Testament expressions of how we are to love each other, and um, no one in the New Testament explains more of them than the Apostle Paul. And over the last several weeks, we have hit um, passage after passage that Paul has written regarding how we are to love each other. Over the last 12 weeks, we've talked about those. Uh, Bill could probably quote them for us. I, I was very tempted to have you come up and do it for us, Bill. But I'm going to get you to stand with me, and we're just going to read through together what we saw right on your outline. It's going to be on the screen. Just read through what we have uh, studied over the last 12 weeks. So Paul tells us in uh, Galatians 5, the first one there, let's read it together, serve each other with love. He also tells us to be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. He tells us to share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. He tells us that we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Paul says, if you go on hurting each other and tearing each other apart, you will completely destroy each other. He tells us to encourage each other and build each other up. He says, live in harmony with each other the way Jesus wants. Bear with each other and forgive each other. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory and you must stop telling lies Tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other in the same body. Wow. And so we are wrapping off this series today, Changing Gears. We've talked through Paul's uh, passages all of these weeks, but today we're shifting gears and we're going to talk about the Apostle John. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the opportunity to, to have your word the Bible is amazing. It, the New Testament scriptures are amazing in how practical they are. They speak into our lives. For the last 12 weeks, you've been speaking into our lives and challenging us how to love each other in these various ways. And today, as we wrap this off, this is not just a conclusion. This is not just a bookend. This is a, a message that we need to hear and we need to apply to our lives. So help us to open our hearts and our minds to all that you want to say to us. We pray this in your name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. You can be seated. Now, John is a guy that followed Jesus personally. I mean, you probably know that John was one of the 12 disciples. Um, as one of the closest three disciples, if you don't know, Jesus had actually 70 that he would have following him, and then he had 12 that were his disciples, but then he had three, Peter, James, and John, that had a, uh, he had a tendency to have them come with him on um, various things and various experiences, really intimate experiences, and John was one of the closest three. So if anyone knew what was important to Jesus, it was John. John would know. In fact, did you know that John was the one that recorded the words of Jesus that we've been using throughout this series in John 13? In the gospel that he wrote, the gospel narrative, John says this. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Read it with me. Love each other as I have loved you. That's our, our key text that we've been using throughout this series. That Jesus tells us that he has set up this new commandment. To, to fulfill the others, this one commandment that we are to love each other. So in a religious system where the focus was only vertically on God, 
A person could, could claim to be good with God but not have to worry about anybody else. He could mistreat other people around him but be good with God and he was okay religiously. Jesus comes along and he shifts the perspective. He, he, he changes the orientation. He says there's got to be this vertical but also this horizontal approach to life. Jesus says that we need to love God but we've got to love each other as well. Now, what's interesting is John then later wrote some letters to specific Jesus followers in local churches. It's known as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in these letters, John writes about this whole idea of loving each other. In fact, extensively writes about this. Take a look that John writes in 1st John chapter 3. He says, this is the teaching you have heard from the beginning. We must what? Love each other. He's saying, hey, we've heard this from the beginning. We've heard this from Jesus' own lips, that we must love each other. Sounds familiar. It's exactly what Jesus taught. It's like he's beating this drum of what Jesus taught. In fact, John talks about this five different times in three letters that he wrote to local churches. This idea of loving each other. He wanted to make sure that we get that loving each other is not optional. John wrote this in 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what real love is. It's interesting that John lived in the ancient culture of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, they, they used a, a common Koine Greek language. If you know anything about Pax Romana, that, that's the, um, the, 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 the lifestyle, the culture that was existent in that part of time. And, and so for communication, they shared this common language. And the Greeks identified eight different kinds of love. You may know some of these, but others you may not. So I thought I'd throw a list up for you just so you can see. The first one you may know is eros or erotic love. We know what that means. It's named from the Greek god of love and fertility, eros. Um, it's, it's a passionate form of love that arouses romantic or sexual feelings. But there's also philia, or platonic love, we may call it. It's an affectionate love between two friends, true friends that have endured hard times together. There's also storge, or family love, between parents and children, or between siblings that love each other. There's ludus, or a playful love, which is a puppy dog love. It's a a crush kind of love. It's the butterflies in the stomach, you get tongue-tied because you don't know what to say. It's the, I wonder if he loves me or not kind kind of love. Then there's mania or obsessive love. It's a type of madness or obsession. It can lead to intense jealousy or codependency. You may have been involved in a relationship like that, hopefully not right now, but maybe you have before. Um, There's a a love called pragma or enduring love, which is a love that has matured over time or developed over time. It's, It's couples or friends that have endured for decades together. But none of these loves is what John is talking about. He's talking about one specific love, and you probably know what that is if you've been around church world. It's, it's the love, agape love. It's a sacrificial love. He says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus gave his life for us. Wow. You know, people wanted to hang out with Jesus. 
When you read through the New Testament and the narrative of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you, you read through what, what went on when Jesus was on planet Earth, people wanted to hang out with Jesus. And what was interesting is people that, that were hurting or sick or sinful, tax collectors, women, those that were marginalized, they wanted to hang out with Jesus. Why did these kinds of people want to hang out with Jesus? It's because he wasn't like the religious people. He didn't push them away. He loved them, and they knew that, and so they wanted to hang out with him. And, and, you know, when you think about it, Jesus really could have made a good religious person. I mean, I mean think about it this way. He, he could have been super religious and noticed by others. He, he could have made himself extra holy. He, he could have demanded honor and respect and awe. He, he could have been considered an upstanding religious guy, if only one thing. He would have stayed away from all of these marginalized kind of people, just like the other religious people were doing. I mean, think about this. He... He could have had an in with religious people. In fact, religious people might have liked him. In fact, maybe he wouldn't have to have went to that bloody cross. But that's not who Jesus was or is. I mean, Jesus is always motivated by love. A love for people. He's always reaching out to the lost the least and the last. Look what it says. John says, this is how we know what love, real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. And then he finishes this off. So we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, we may not like everything about our brother or sister, we, we may not feel like loving our brother or sister at times. They may not deserve our love at times. But this kind of love is a matter of will, not emotion. It's a commitment. It's a choice that you and I make. It's a deliberate, willful act that demonstrates this kind of love. John continues in verse 17. He says, suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not help. Then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. So John says, that this kind of love that I'm talking about, this agape love, this sacrificial love, it's, it's not a theological love. It's not an ideological love. It's a practical love. You don't just talk about it. You do it. You don't just feel it. You show it. You carry it out, not just with words and talk, but by actions and caring. I mean, how many of you know it's one thing to say, I love you, but it's a whole other thing to show you that I love you. It's true. And this is what John is talking about. He says that, that you carry it out. It's words versus actions. To, to love in words simply means that you talk about a need, but to love in action means that you do something to meet that need. This kind of love gets our hands dirty, doesn't it? I mean, it involves us. It gets our heart engaged. It's very personal. It's very self-sacrificing. It's very caring. It, it seeks the highest good of the other person. 
This kind of love is a commitment. And because it's a commitment, guess what? It's commanded. You are given a choice, but John says it's a command that Jesus has given us to make this choice. Look what he says in verse 23. This is what God commands, that we believe in his son Jesus and that we love each other just as he commanded. This is what I know about John. I know that he was really shaped by the Last Supper experience, the time in, in the book of John when he was writing in the narrative, and it's like John 14, 15, 16, 17, all through those chapters in the book of John, John was really shaped by what took place around that last meal, that Passover meal that Jesus had with his 12 disciples. John was really shaped and developed by that experience. Especially when Jesus said in John 13, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. See, I, I think that John considered these two words, and I want you to circle it on your outline, these two words, my followers. I think John is, is considering these words, and he is concluding something. We're going to see it in just a minute in John, 1 John 4. But, but John says, Jesus says that I am, will show that I'm a follower of Jesus if I love another person, if I love another follower. If we love each other, we will show that we are followers. And I think John is concluding that to be a Jesus follower is not just to believe something or not just to align yourself with a group or a church or a movement or whatever, but it is to have your heart changed so that it is filled with love, not only for God, but for each other. Because John writes in 1 John 4, if people say... I love God, but hate their brothers or sisters, they are liars. Wow, that's pretty strong, wouldn't you think? Look what he says. Those who do not love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have never seen. God gives us, gave us this command. Those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. See, I, I think, and we're going to fill in the blank in just a minute, but I've been taking this one phrase, and it has been our key point, our key phrase every week for the last 12 weeks. You probably know the fill in the blank already. I don't even have to give it to you. But I wanted to keep emphasizing it week after week after week for one reason. Because if we can get this, then all of a sudden, church becomes real. It becomes what it's supposed to become. You can fill in the blank if you want. We show we follow Jesus by how we love each other. And a lot of the times I think we as church people get this all mixed up. And we think that by going to church, singing the songs, giving the money, having the Bible, carrying the Bible, having the bumper sticker, wearing the t-shirt, whatever. We think that that is what makes us a true follower of Jesus. That's how we show the world that we are a follower of Jesus. When all along John says that Jesus says, no, you show, you follow Jesus by how you love each other. Unfortunately, in the church, we are not known for loving each other, right? 
I mean, if, if we were to talk to people on the street, the number one complaint that they have about church is that it's hypocritical and judgmental. Not even necessarily regarding outsiders as much as dealing with insiders. The number of people that leave churches because they've been hurt by a church is astounding. Because we don't have this. We don't get this. The importance of loving each other. We're known for arguing and disagreeing and and judging. I think it's time that we change that. I think it's time for us as followers of Jesus, I think it's time for us as Pathway Church to change how the world sees us. I think more important, too many people in churches are hurting and in need, and I think it's time that we love each other, that we really do, by doing something to show that we love each other. Years ago, there was a magazine that published a very sad series of pictures. The first picture was a vast wheat field in Kansas. If you've ever driven through Kansas or been in that area, you know that the wheat fields can go on and on and on forever. From horizon to horizon, all you could see in this picture was wheat waving in the wind. The second picture was of a mother in distress in her farmhouse because her four-year-old little boy had wandered out into the adjacent wheat field when no one was paying attention. She and her husband had searched all day long, but they couldn't find him. They called friends and neighbors to come over and help, and they frantically searched over acres and acres of wheat, but the boy was too short to be seen over the tall wheat. He was lost. Third picture shows dozens of friends and neighbors who had formed a human chain the following morning, walking hand in hand, searching slowly through the tall wheat field for this little boy. But the heartbreaking final picture is a crying father standing over the body of his little son who had died of exposure in the wheat field. And underneath were the only words of the article that said this, Oh God, if we had only joined hands a little sooner. I think it's time that we do life together instead of apart. Did you hear me? I know for a fact, as your pastor, we have people right here at Pathway Church that are struggling, that life is not easy right now. I know for a fact that we have people among us that have needs, not just emotional needs. Some are very practical and very physical and very real needs. And we have an opportunity to love each other. I don't know about you, but I have discovered something. Life is too hard to do alone. It really is. I think it's time that we join hands and we do life together. That we love each other. That we're there for each other. Would you bow your heads with me?